Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 is where we're going to be covering tonight. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be always, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let me read these two verses again. This is where we're going to be at tonight. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We left off last week looking at how we're to be praying consistently to God. And in doing so, we're to ask God for, we saw last week, open doors for the gospel. We're to ask Him to send laborers into the harvest. And for boldness, to share the good news for all who do, which is all of us. Now, what I want to do, though, real quick, is just take a little bit longer to remind you of that second part. And we're not only we're to be praying for God to open the doors for the gospel, and we laid that all out last week as to what that means, but we're also to ask Him to send laborers into the harvest. And what I want to remind you is that He determines who goes and who stays. And He determines who they go to, whether they're, whether they're staying or going. So I want to make sure you're with me on this, and I'm going to remind you of some things. We have a tendency to, in telling people that we need to share the gospel, telling people just to go. But we are not to just go. We're to go listening to the Lord and go to the ones He's chosen for us to go to. Remember, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul said that he had been chosen by God to go to the Gentiles. Peter had been chosen to go to the Jews. We also know that Paul and Barnabas, when they were in Acts, in Acts 13 and they were praying and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work which I have called them to. And when they laid their hands on them and sent them off on that missionary journey, it was because they were recognizing God had called them to go on a certain mission. Oh, while they were on this mission, if you know the scriptures, you'll know in Acts 16, they tried to go into Asia, but the Spirit wouldn't let them. And they tried to go into Mysia, but the Spirit wouldn't let them. And it was later that God revealed that He wanted them at that time in their travels to go to Macedonia. And so what I want to remind you of is that as we're seeking God, and we're going to be talking some more tonight about witnessing and those types of things, we're to be praying all the time. We're to pray without ceasing, with thanksgiving, but we're also to be asking God for open doors for the gospel to be shared, praying for others as well as praying for ourselves in that line. But as we also ask Him to send laborers out into the harvest field, I want to be one of these preachers that encourages you to be a part of what God's doing in His field, but I don't want to become one of those preachers that just simply says, you all need to go. Because actually, if you look at that passage in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, the go is in a command, but everything else is in the passive. It's as you go, baptizing, teaching, and so on. And so what I want you to understand is, is don't let the pressure of those who say, you need to be out there just sharing the gospel, freak you out into, oh, God has a place, and some of you he's going to send out, some he's going to tell you to stay where you are. Remember, we looked last time when we were together at the demoniac who had the legion of demons, and after he had been healed, and the townspeople said, we want you to leave here because of what he did with the pigs. And the, the demoniac tries to get in the boat with Jesus. He says, I want to go with you. What did Jesus tell him? Stay. Stay. I want you to go and speak to your family and your friends. So God determines who goes and who stays. God determines where we go and who we go to if we go or stay. Do you understand? So take a deep breath. God wants to use all of you, but he doesn't want to use you all the same way. 
And there's some of you that he's going to use in certain areas to certain types of folks. There's some of you going to be. Well, the danger we have, though, is when we start getting excited about what God's called us to, there's a tendency for us to assume that God wants everybody else to be as excited about the same thing. You ever run across those type of evangelistic people? Man, they just love knocking on doors or standing on the street corners and telling people about Jesus. And they get mad because you don't have the same passion. I say to you, relax. Yes, the fields are white under harvest. Yes, the laborers are few. But remember what Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his field. And my prayer is, is that through the years as we've been together and studying the word and looking at what the scripture says, that you begin to recognize what is of the flesh and man's effort and what is of the spirit. And we would be people that would be walking in the spirit. And it's so much more fun when God gets to tell us where to go and what to do. And when God does it and we don't have to. Got it? All right. So the last thing we were looking at uh, last week was at the close of our study needs to be dealt with a little bit further. We really didn't have time to really dive into verses five and six. And I just didn't feel like I could move on unless we go a little bit more into this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Remember, Paul had just been saying, pray for me. Pray for doors to the gospel to be open for me, and pray that I may be bold, and pray that it, I may make it clear. But he didn't just say, only pray for those of us who've been called to go and travel and preach. He also said, oh, keep in mind, God wants to use you too in your interactions with other people. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and pick up where we left off. If you remember last time we were together, Jeff had brought out a, one, a really good point. Because there's this fear, as I just said to you, that God chooses where we're to go and who we're to go to. There's a fear among Christians. Because Satan, he first of all doesn't want you to hear the word of God and the will of God. But then once you hear it, he wants you to be afraid you'll miss it. And so there's a tendency among Christians to say, well, what if I don't go where he wants me to go? What if... What, let me ask you an honest question. How many of you have sensed that God wanted you to do something at some time in your life and you didn't do it? The rest of you, your hands are awful heavy. We all have done it. There's a sense in all of us of maybe God wanted me to. And some people, I, I dealt with a man today who had 25 years of his life that he was now starting to wonder did I waste it? Because I knew God called me. Yet I ended up in this field for 25 years. But the call's still there, and he wanted to meet with me to talk about, had he missed it, was it too late? And I had the privilege of sharing with him the fact that just because God gives you a call doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. And for many people, the time between when God showed them what he had in mind that he wanted to do and when it actually came to fulfillment was a long time. That I had the privilege of actually showing this man from the scriptures that he probably didn't miss anything of God's plan. But those 25 years in that other profession were a part of the shaping that God had for when God was going to say, but it's now. Remember, God, was told, by, God told Abraham, you're going to be a mighty nation. But it was 25 years later that Isaac was first born. David was anointed the next king of Israel, but it was over 15 years before he actually became king. Jo Joseph was given the vision of the family all bowing down to him. It was over 21 years later that he finally came into power, in the, or actually after he came into power that his family actually bowed down to him. And so folks, first off, if you're afraid of something, who deals in fear? 
So relax. Our loving Father is real good at communicating with His children because He knows each one of us. He made us. And He knows how to communicate best with each of us. And He will direct your path. But Paul had a very similar episode in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 12 through 17. Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to, to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. In this section of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he points out that even though God had opened a door for him to preach the gospel in Troas, since he was not at rest in his spirit because Titus wasn't there, he didn't walk through the open door, but he left for Macedonia. Some say Paul was wrong for doing so. Some say he wasn't. There's great debate among Bible teachers as to whether or not Paul was supposed to stay there in Troas or whether or not he was wrong for leaving or okay for leaving. I'm going to ask you, what do you think? God's got it. <laughs> we, we, the reason I asked you is I'm testing you. You see, if you remember, a few weeks ago, we did a study on judging, didn't we? On who's supposed to judge and who's not supposed to judge. Or when we're to make proper judgments and when we're not to make judgments. And what things we're to make judgments about and what other things we're not to make judgments about. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and look at verses uh, 1 through 5. First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul said, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So if your first reaction was to say, well, I think he did right or I think he did wrong, be careful. Be careful. Who are you to judge whether or not you thought he did right or thought he did wrong? To his own master, he stands or falls. But the good news is, I'm not even sure Paul knew whether or not he did right or wrong. In the context here, you see the wrestling match he had. Even though the door was open for me by the Lord, I just didn't have a rest in my spirit because Titus wasn't there. And I made a choice. I chose not to stay. And then he says this wonderful statement, but thanks be to God who leads us in triumphal procession and spreads the fragrance of him everywhere we go. Isn't that cool? I don't believe Paul's teaching now, do whatever, God's going to just use it. Because the scripture very clearly does teach that he has a specific plan for each of us. But what I want to talk to you about tonight is this. As you begin to become one of these people who says, Lord, I want to put into practice these things that you've been showing me in your word. I want to live this out. I don't want to be one of those ones who's afraid of taking a step for fear of making a mistake. 
I'm going to show you something from the scriptures that you may have not seen. I've referenced it a few times in previous teachings, but I want you to see it for yourself. Go to Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. By the way, if you don't remember what he's talking about, this is when he first sent them out two by two. He told them to go in all the surrounding towns and villages and preach the good news of the kingdom. What were they supposed to bring with them? Amen. Nothing. He said, you can't bring any money. You can't bring a change of clothes. You can't bring any food. What was he trying to teach them? Dependency on him, his sufficiency that he would provide. Just go do what I ask you to do. Watch how I make it work. Right. Of course, they don't learn the lesson. They come back, even though God provides, they come back and reported them all that they had done. Jesus says, get in the boat, guys. They get in the boat. The crowd sees where they're going. They all get there to the shore. Jesus has compassion. He heals them, teaches them. The disciples come and they say it's late in the day. Send them away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. In other words, you just came back and told me all you did. I sent you without food, without money, without change of clothes. You sound pretty impressive. Why don't you show me what you can do? Of course, he reteaches the lesson of sending them out two by two when he feeds the 5,000. How much was left over? Twelve basketfuls, one for each knucklehead, right? <laughs> they still don't learn the lesson. You can double check me later on. You can look in the Gospel of Mark. You'll see that after that, he sends them out in the boat and he goes up on the mountain to pray. He comes down from the mountain in the middle of the night, about four in the morning, and he walks across the water. They recognize that there's someone walking on the water. They're afraid. He says, it's me. And he gets in the boat with them. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, I think it is, he said that they were utterly amazed because they hadn't understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Jesus was continually trying to show it's me, my power, my provision, my protection. But now, right before he goes to the cross here in Luke 22, he reminds them of this. And he says, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has, has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. So obviously he wasn't wanting everybody to get a sword, yet he uses the word sword. He says, remember when I sent you out two by two, did you lack anything? No, we didn't lack anything. He says, well, guess what? You don't realize it, but at that time, even though I wasn't with you, I was. And I was taking care of you, and I was providing for you. But for the next three days, you're going to be on your own. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't come until Jesus ascends back to the Father, remember? And for those three days, they were going to be on their own. And just to kind of illustrate to them that they're going to have to be kind of taking care of themselves for those three days while he was crucified and in the tomb. He says, you got a, you got a money bag? You're going to need it. You can knapsack, you probably could use it. And he said, if you don't have a sword, you better sell your coat and get one. They said, we got two. He said, that's enough. And then when you get just a few verses later, go to verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. The man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to, Judas, to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, we know who it is, it's Peter, 
struck the servant of the, right, of the high priest and cut off, his, cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. When Peter swung his sword and cut off Malchus's ear, did Peter believe that he was doing the will of God? Yes. yes. Jesus had just said just a few hours earlier, get a sword. This must be what he meant, Peter's thinking. Lord, shall we strike with our swords? In other words, is this why you told us to get a sword? And he swung the sword, believing it was the will of the Father. Now listen closely. Jesus cleans up after Peter and puts the ear right back on. Was the miracle for the crowd to believe? It, it can't be, because it's obvious from what we can see, they don't even seem to notice. They don't stop arresting him. Everything just continues. Then who was that miracle for? Besides Malchus, it was for Peter. You know, they could have grabbed Peter and had him arrested right then, too, for doing this, couldn't they? But with Jesus putting the ear back on, he removed all the evidence. Standing before the judge now, the judge says, which ear? Not right. It was one of them. I know he cut off one of these ears. And so I share that with you folks to tell you this. If your desire is to go where God wants you to go and speak to whom God wants you to speak to and you miss it, he's good at cleaning up after us. He's pleased that you're striving to walk with him. Don't be afraid of missing it, but don't become lazy and just say, well, God will use me wherever. The Bible teaches a balance of being led of the Spirit to speak to whom He tells you to speak to, how He tells you to speak, when He tells you to speak, when He tells you not to speak. And the Scriptures teach that all along. And going when you speak with His power, trusting that He'll give you the words. Too many people have put their confidence in their version of how to share the gospel or their method of evangelism. When you walk into a situation thinking that your method of evangelism is what's going to turn the corner and convince these people, you've already started off wrong because your faith is in what? Your method and not in Jesus. And so as we look at these two verses where it says how we're to live with outsiders, I want to remind you of the fact that God has certain outsiders he wants to use you in their lives. There are some of you that have been through situations and experiences that I haven't been through, and God wants to use you in the lives of people that have similar situations where I wouldn't have any correlation. There are going to be people that God uses me in their life that God would not use you. And we've got to stop deciding how everybody else ought to be doing it. We've got to stop being like Martha and telling, Lord, sell my sister to help me. We should have had more people at prayer meeting. We should have had more people at visitation on Tuesday night. We should have had, we got to stop doing that and ask yourself, are you letting God use you in the people he wants to use you in their lives? Start walking down the path you believe God's leading you to to share with people and leave the rest of the folks to God. Oh yeah, there's lots of people we could see could be reached. But you know what I believe in? I believe in a big God. And he's going to get his message to everybody. The Bible says he does. I just don't want to miss out on the people he wants to use me in their lives. And that's just a fun, fun way to live your life. All right. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians, though, and pull out a couple of things from this. Paul used the imagery of a Roman triumph. 
Now, a Roman triumph was when a, a, a Roman general was victorious. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verses 14 through 17. A Roman triumph was when a Roman general was victorious. He would have a big parade. They'd have a big parade in his honor. And he would be paraded with his spoils of war through the streets. And there were incense and there were rose petals being thrown on the ground for the horses to walk on. And there was just a smell that was associated with that. And Paul said, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, in this Roman triumph, they would not only parade the victorious, they would parade the prisoners. By the way, the prisoners who were on their way to death, they smelled the same smell, didn't they? How did it smell to them? It reminded them of death. For the victorious... What did that smell mean to them? Life, triumph. And he says, whether you realize it or not, use this illustration to say that God is leading us as the aroma of Christ in the whole world. To some, we smell like life. To others, we smell like death. And Paul asked this question, who is equal to such a task? What's the obvious answer? Only Jesus. Not us. Not us. Go to 2 Corinthians. You're right there in chapter 2. Go to chapter 4. Look at verses 7 through 11. Paul says, therefore, sorry, verse 7, but we have this treasure, Christ in us, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Well, look what he says here. He says, we go around in these jars of clay with Christ in us, the treasure of Christ in us. But when we go around in these jars of tray, oh, sorry, of tray of clay, does God make it easy for us? That was an easy question. What's the answer to that? No. no. Then why? Why does God allow us who have Christ within us, who've been forgiven by God, who are children of God, who are supposed to be his prized possession, why does he allow us and cause us to go through this stuff? Definitely, he uses it to draw us closer. But why else? So that he can have the glory in what way? So you're saying then how we respond to this demonstrates the life of Christ within us. Problem is, and it's so, that others will so that others will recognize. But let's be honest, folks, and I just gotta be straight with you tonight. How are we doing in this area? 
I'm not asking how God's doing. How are we doing in this area? I mean, let's be honest. If there was a time when it which was easy to shine the light of Christ, it's now. Is not the world getting pretty dark? And even America, which used to be one of the brightest places, has gotten as dark as the rest of the world. It should be easy for us to be noticeably different. And to be honest with you, as things get worse and worse in the world and worse and worse in our country, call me crazy, I get excited. You know why? Because it's going to be hard now for people to pretend to be Christians. We're going to see a real clear finding out of who is which soil now. Because the Bible said the seed fell on the rocky soil, sprung up, fooled everybody else. But when trouble came, it went away because it had no root. The Bible also says that the cares of this world and deceitfulness of wealth choked other soils. And it's going to be real easy to find out who truly is and who isn't. I've been a pastor for over 20 years and I've been preaching for over 30. And trust me, I've dealt enough with people who proclaim to be Christians, but it's obvious that the Spirit of God is not in them. But it's not our job to determine who's saved and who's not. But the Bible says in the last days, it'll become evident because many will fall away. Personally, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I want to preach to those who are in Christ. I thank God for those of you out here that have the evangelistic heart. I've had guys tell me for years as I've traveled and spoke, Jim, we really love your preaching, but you're not evangelistic enough. You don't preach enough salvation messages. And I look them in the eye and say, that's not whom God called me to go speak to. God chose me to go speak to Christians who are truly Christians to wake them up to what it means to walk in Christ and to prepare them for the return of Christ. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastor teachers for the equipping of the church. I'm an apostle prophet mix. Travel and preach. And that's what God's called me to do. And so, yes, I may not be as evangelistic as you think I ought to be, but I also have learned I'm to live the life that God has for me. And so in the same way, personally, since I've been trying to preach to Christians and it's hard to tell who's who, these days are making my job a lot easier because those of us who are in Christ are getting hungrier and those who aren't are falling away and it's making my job easier. But at the same time, I say to those of us who are in Christ, are you reacting like the rest of the world? Are you freaking out? Are you getting in your huddles and saying, what can we do to fix this? What can we do to change this? How can we turn this around? Or are you saying, Lord, this sure looks like the exact environment that you sent your disciples out into at the beginning of the church age. Actually, if we look at the scriptures all along, from the beginning, Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. But not in America, Lord. In America, they love us. We're a Christian nation. No. If Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you, that means everywhere. In the 70s, I remember preachers went on this kick of trying to tell Christian, or the people in the world, we're no different from you, we're just forgiven. And people bought into it. They thought that that would make it easier for people to be one of us. If they say, we're no different from you. We're just forgiven. Well, the Bible says we're totally different. 
We're strangers. We're new creations, as you said. We're, 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 we're strangers. We're aliens in this place. And so, folks, I say to you, in these days, the temptation will be to react like the rest of the world reacts. But God did not promise to spare us from the things that we're going to go through. He said that he has chosen to put this treasure in jars of clay so that his glory may be seen in this world. You may not see yourself as an evangelist, but I can tell you this. People are watching. People are watching. Today, I was at a restaurant with a, with a pastor like I shared with you. And a couple of ladies from this Bible study ended up sitting down at the table next to us. So we had to watch our language. <laughs> and they were watching theirs. We talked with them for a little while. The waitress even prayed with them when they prayed. Held their hands. Isn't that cool? They got up and left because they don't talk as much as men do. And uh, I started to realize this lady never brought us a check. We've been here for a couple hours. I knew what had happened. I turned to the pastor who had told me he was going to buy my lunch. He, I said, uh, have you noticed we didn't get a check? He goes, yeah, where's the check? He goes, I said, I know what happened. Those ladies bought our lunch. You still owe me one. <laughs> I called the waitress over and I said, uh, did they buy our lunch? She said, yeah, they didn't want you to know. I said, I figured as much. I explained that they're from the Bible study that I teach and had a chance to talk with her and she's a believer. Her struggle is she has to work as a waitress on Sundays. I was hoping she'd be here tonight. I don't see her. If, she, if you're here, wave your hand. I, I mean, don't think she made it, but she was actually gonna try her hardest. If she got off, she got off work at six. But it was a great opportunity to illustrate where we're going next in our study. We didn't go to Cheddar's to evangelize, we went to Cheddar's as we go through our day for the purposes God had for us. And well, let's go back and read Colossians again. We walked in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. We let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer each person. We are all, we need to realize that we're all witnesses of some sort every single day. And we need to live our lives with an understanding that people may be watching us even before we share the gospel with them. This is what Paul's saying here. That's why earlier when he said, I wasn't sure if I did the right thing by leaving Troas. But you know what? Thanks be to God who's going to lead me and use me in his purposes wherever I go. I want to be where he wants me to be. I want to be in line with his will. But even if I miss it, he's going to use me. And he says to those, after he says, pray for us that we'd be bold and we may make it clear. I want you to remember, he says, you also are going to be used. You need to understand that at all times, God wants to use you. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a part of an evangelistic team. Those are great. Doesn't mean you have to go on a mission trip. Those are wonderful. But actually, if you are walking with the Lord every day, he is able to use you wherever you go. And listen, if the Lord knows that you are someone that is going to be walking in the spirit every day, he actually will choose to use you more. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool to know that God would say, hmm, 
I know he'll do it. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be, be one of those ones that you want the Lord to choose to use you? Well, those who are faithful with little will be given much, the Bible said. So start off with how you react each day to what goes on around you. Hey, Lord, this hasn't changed any of your truths. This actually lines more up with your word than what's going on in our world. And I praise you. I praise you. Go real quick to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, look at verses 15 and 16. Peter says, In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, or the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Look closely at what he says again. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, put Christ first in everything you do. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words... Are we to set out to be a good example first? Is that what the passage says? What are we to set out to do first? Set apart Christ first in our hearts. In other words, so trust in him, so rest in him that you just are at peace. So then in this world where things are going crazy and people are losing their jobs just like you're losing your jobs and people's uh, financial situations are getting worse and their IRAs are disappearing just like yours are disappearing and things are happening to you and get, they're getting cancer just like you're getting cancer and all this stuff is happening to all of us. God does it on purpose, but he's allowed it to happen. By the way, it says in Romans chapter 8, for his sake we're given over to death all day long. What does Paul say? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even nakedness, danger, famine, sword. Did you catch that? He says, oh, by the way, you're going to go through nakedness, damage, uh, danger, famine, sword. Don't think it's caused me to not love you anymore. It's actually a part of my process that if you set me apart as, as Lord in your life and you just rest in me and everybody else around you is going through that same stuff, they will be going to you to ask for a reason why you are at peace. I had a neighbor actually do that one time. I actually wanted to kiss him, which would ruin the whole purpose of what God was trying to accomplish. But he actually said to me one day, why are you always so happy? And I thought, thank the Lord. Finally, someone asked. Because let's be honest, doesn't the Bible say be ready always to give reason to those who ask? I'm not trying to beat you up with this. I'm just going to ask a simple question. How many are asking? How many are asking us? Ooh, that means maybe we need to set apart Jesus as Lord and rest in him. What did Paul say as he sat in prison? Get me out! Oh. He said, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to live or die. You know what? If I die, that'd be awesome. But if I live, that's cool too because I'll get more reward. Think of how he was looking at it. I was talking with this one man who claimed to be a Christian and he was talking about his health. He was in his 80s. He goes, but I'm doing okay considering the alternative. I said, the alternative is awesome. He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, 
the alternative you meant was heaven, right? He goes, well, I was speaking death, but okay. <laughs> and then he said this. I hope. I said, you hope there's a heaven or you hope you're going? And this is what a man who had earlier, about two years earlier, told me he was a believer. He said, I hope that if there's a heaven, I go. Hey, I'm not, not trying to beat anybody up in here, but do you know there's a lot of people that sit in pews every Sunday hoping they're going to heaven? Even though the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible actually, go ahead, do you want to say something? I just had, had a question. Mm -hmm. As we're going, sometimes not many people ask me, don't you think it's, I was constantly asked to tell our friends and family about Jesus Right. Now, OK, I'm, I'm going to answer your question carefully. All right. Listen closely to what I'm saying. Yes and no. <laughs> you see, because what you just said to me sounded awesome. And if you were standing here and said those exact same words, most everybody in the room would say, wow, what wisdom. I mean, we have a responsibility. Doesn't that sound right? But do you remember what you didn't share? And I'm not I know you and I know this isn't your heart. So don't you you'll understand where I'm coming from. You didn't share with me any scripture. It was just human reasoning. Remember at the beginning of the study. God determines who we go to and who we don't go to. Remember how the spirit told Paul, you can't go preach in Asia. But he has a responsibility because Jesus commissioned him to go. Paul even said it was on his heart to preach where the gospel hadn't been preached. He had a responsibility in our mind to go into Asia. But God said, that's not where I have. Do you see what I'm saying? Without realizing it, we have man centered a lot of things, come up with a lot of good rationalistic ways of explaining things, convincing people to go do things in the flesh. Does God want our friends and family to be saved? Without question. Is he going to use us? Not always. That's why we are to, in all things, pray for open doors and for God to send who he wants. Remember, we've been teaching in Colossians, pray for open doors, pray that God would send who he wants and for boldness for whoever it is he chooses. And Lord is, and what did Paul, what did Paul say in, in Romans chapter nine? He said, if there was a way that I could go to hell so that all Israel would be saved, I'll do it. Did he have a heart for the people of Israel? Yet who did God send him to? Jesus, does he love everybody? Then how come when he was on the earth, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel? Because it was Jew first and Gentile second, according to God's plan and God's timing. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why we got to be careful, because most of everything we've been told has had a hint of wisdom, but it's been man's wisdom. It makes sense. You can sell it. You can make a seminar. It's of the flesh. Is this where God would have you to go? Is this who God would have you to talk to? Is he leading you to say something at this time? Is he not? Oh, there'll be people that actually will say, well, I think you should have. I actually was playing golf one time with a pastor. 
rare occasion that happens two or three times a week. And uh, we actually got paired up with this young man who went to a church in the area. And about the seventh hole, we had a chance to talk with him about where he stood with Christ. And again, he made the statement of, I hope I go to heaven. And I know he's been hearing the gospel because the church he listed is very, very good at sharing the gospel. Many people are being saved there every week. Yet that doesn't mean that this man's heard it yet. And this young man, the pastor and I had a chance to share with him from the scriptures about the fact that you can know you're going to heaven, how you can pass from death to life. And it was obvious that the Spirit of God was working on this young man and he was receiving it. He had actually had the Bible on his phone. We had him pull it up. And throughout the round, we kept sharing with him more scriptures. By the end of the round, it was very clear to me that the Spirit of God was saying, don't do any more. So we shook hands with him, gave him our cards and said, hey, if you ever want to talk some more, give us a call. We leave, he leaves, me and the pastor end up in the parking lot, and this pastor was upset with me. He said, Jim, we should have drawn the net. We should have drawn the net. God was working, we should have drawn the net. And I asked this pastor this simple question, I'm gonna ask you the same question. Show me drawing the net anywhere in the Bible. He goes in Acts chapter two, when the they said, repent and be baptized. I said, uh, what happened prior to repent and be baptized? The scripture, if you go back and look at it, the Bible says the people were cut to the heart and they initiated the conversation and said, what shall we do? The draw the net wasn't a drawing the net, was in response to the spirit of God bringing them to that point. And they shared with them, here's what you do. You believe and be baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch said, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Who drew the net? <laughs> the guy himself? The closest you'll find to this drawing the net. We've got to draw the net. We've got to close it so that we can get the final catch. The closest you'll find is when Paul's preaching and this guy goes, are you all this uh, so soon trying to help me, help me become a Christian? But all Paul said was, I just hope everybody here will be like what I am except for these chains. And actually the whole idea of drawing the net I don't see it in the Bible. Oh, we're to present the gospel. We're to share with them the truth. We're to share with them. Obviously, Philip must have talked to him about baptism because that's why the guy says, well, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? So a part of the presentation of the gospel by Philip must have been responding in baptism and receiving what Christ has done. But folks, let me just tell you, we have been taught that it's up to us to begin at page one of the tract and introduce them to God, and by page seven, get them to pray a prayer. If we're faithful to the scriptures, well, let me, let me have you see it for yourself. Go to John chapter four. Exactly, you're talking about there are those that plant and those that water. Go to John chapter four. I want you to see it for yourself. Verse 34. Remember, Jesus, this is after Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well there, and the scripture said he had to go through Samaria. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because the Spirit of God was leading him there to do it. Jesus in verse 34 said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Is God able to take someone from page one of a tract to page seven and have them get saved? Sure. But is that how it works according to the scriptures as a whole? No. There's planting, watering. Go ahead. Go for it. Uh, now that you're on the, uh, what does the Bible say? Mm -hmm. Where's the Bible, where's the sinner's prayer in the Bible? I'll be honest with you, there isn't such a thing because the sinner's prayer in the Bible was baptism itself. Because when they presented the gospel in those times, it was believe, and if you receive, believe this message, John the Baptist preaching was the same thing. Uh, they came to be baptized and he said, I'm not sure you really mean this. <laughs> go show some evidence that you're ready to be, he told the Pharisees, go, go show some evidence before I baptize you. But their prayer, if you will, was baptism. And so what we've done is we have said, just pray this prayer and then be baptized. And I want to be careful in how I answer because there are those who have taken this truth and used it as a, an axe against their brothers. I don't think it's wrong to have someone pray a prayer. But isn't it sort of that drawing the net thing? It's a part of that whole idea of... And as you know, there are those who... I've been there when quote-unquote evangelists have had people pray prayers in restaurants, and I've wondered if they even understood. Yes, there's that danger as well. Um, at the same time, I have at times said, if you would like to respond to this, here's what I'd like... There's no right or wrong, but the danger is thinking that we have to finish the deal, close the sale. That's God's work, folks. That's totally God's work. And if they respond, it isn't because you did a real good job making a presentation. You don't realize it, but you're the 14th person that's probably God's used in their life, and it was time. You're right. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what he does for all of us, really. So let's not make evangelism the focus. Let's make setting apart Jesus as Lord the focus and watch how God puts all these opportunities in your plate. You'd be amazed. And sometimes he might say to close the net. Yeah, and sometimes he might have you, I hate to use so the one, term so close the net, the but yes. Jesus said, let down your nets for the catch. Yep. Because he said, Exactly. Well, that we're, we're, when we spare them and spread the good news, we're actually casting the net. I know, but I'm we're, just but, the net right. But no, there will be times that God actually may have you say, would you like to do this right now? But don't think that every single time it has to be done. I'll make sure you hopefully you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's wrong to say, would you like to do this? I'm saying to think that that's how you're to always do it is wrong. You understand the difference? There's no formulas. I think somebody said that one time. I wish I had it with me. I so wish I had it with me. There was an email that I got years ago, and I have got to hurry up so we finish these verses tonight. There was an email that I got um, years ago. It started when I was preaching at a pastor's conference in Thailand. I actually had the privilege of teaching 200 pastors for a week in Thailand about seven years ago, eight years ago. And while I was at this Christian conference center there in Thailand, it was just, it was a Baptist conference center and all these pastors had come from all over Thailand. It was, it was humbling. Some of them came by bus, some came on bicycles, hundreds of miles. And they stayed at this conference center and we'd eat together. On the first day as we're sitting in the cafeteria, there was a young person across from me and I couldn't tell if they were male or female. They were dressed all in black, very goth. And so I looked at this person and I said, what's your name? 
He said, my name is Chris, but I want you to call me beer. I said, beer like the drink? He said, yes, beer. He goes, my name is Chris, but I tell everybody to call me beer because that's what I live for. I said, okay, beer. Um, can I ask you a question? What are you doing here? <laughs> he said, well, one of these pastors is a friend of mine, and I heard that an American was going to be coming to teach, and I want to practice my English. I want to get better at speaking it and reading and writing. And so I've decided that I want to come and spend the week talking with you so I can get better at my English. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you don't know what you just signed up for, but go ahead. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you've brought this guy into my life so I can bring him to you. Whenever I would steer the conversations around the dining hall to Christ, he would quickly say, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to just talk and practice English. I don't want to hear about that. I said, okay. And then later on, I'd kind of steer things back and he'd say, no. By the end of the week, I said, would you do me this favor? I don't know if I'll ever see you again. I really enjoyed hanging out with you. I'm preaching at this one church. It's called Takaset Church. It's in, it's in Bangkok. Would you please come and hear me preach. I want to be able to see you because I got to get on an airplane right after that to fly back to America. He said, I make you a promise. I'll come. So that Sunday comes. I'm sitting there in the church. I'm looking for him, looking for him. Service starts. And then here he comes a few minutes late. I get up and I go sit in the back with him. And I turn to him and I said, everything's in your language. I don't know what they're saying. Would you do me a favor? Would you please just translate for me? So he now is reciting everything that's happening in the whole service. <laughs> I said, what are they singing? He goes, they're singing something like, hallelujah, praise the lamb. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then they actually took Lord's Supper there at the beginning of the service, the middle of the service. And I said, I act like I had never seen it before, like it was some Thailand thing. And I'm like, what are they doing? He goes, oh, they're eating this bread that represents the body of Christ. And they're drinking this cup, which, which represents his blood. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Tell me more. Tell me more. And so the whole service, he's telling me what's going on word for word. Then it's time for me to get up and preach. And I get up from where I'm at in the back. And I go up to the front. And I preach and then through the translator and all. And I'm ready at the invitation to see beer come down the aisle. And he doesn't. I said goodbye to him. And he says, can I write you over email? So that I can practice still. And I said, sure. Gave him my ad. By the way, his email address is Lethal Calamity. <laughs> Serious. Lethal Calamity. We correspond for like a month or so. And then one of the emails I get from him, he's writing like he's a Christian. So I quickly type back and I said, Beer, did you become a Christian? I so wish I had it. I have it saved. But pretty much what he says was, I'm so sorry for not telling you that I had become reborn. After you left Takaset Church, I kept going back to that church, wondering and protesting. Yet one day I come to believe that Jesus is Lord when I see a woman healed of crippled. And I gave my life to Christ. He said, thank you for making me make that promise to meet you at Takaset Church. I was one of the many that God was using. Oh, and the best part is he signed it, Chris. Ah. Folks, I could spend days telling you story upon story. I'm one of many. I'm one of many. I'm not usually the one that's there when they come to the harvest. That's okay. In your hearts, let Jesus, who is Lord, be Lord. Rest in him and watch how God brings people into your path.
And the scripture says, go back and we'll wrap this up here. It says that we're to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. We're to let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. What does it mean to have our speech seasoned with salt? Well, salt not only enhances flavor, it also slows decay and corruption, and salt also purifies. Have you ever been at work, and just because people know you're a Christian, you've heard coworkers say, pardon my French? Guess what? You're being a light. You didn't have to say, would you please watch your language? That's my Lord, you're cussing. Y'all live here in Florida, right? Uh, we're not the only house that has cockroaches, right? Please help me out. I mean, I pay a man to get rid of him, and he's right there. <laughs> but thank the Lord, Steve, when we do see them, they're belly up. By the time they show up, they're belly up. I'm due for service, all right. All right. We've got to clean our house again. The bug man's coming. So um, I don't go on my back porch and say, you're a cockroach, you're a cockroach, you're a cockroach. All I do is turn on the light and they run. Just let who Jesus is in you shine through you. Stop falling prey to those who say you need to do more for God. If you are to do more for God, whose job is it to determine that you're to do more for God? God. God's. To some he gave five. To others he gave two. To another he only gave one. Each according to their ability. One of the reasons why we aren't sharing the gospel is we've been told that we're supposed to do it like the five people. And it freaks us out. And we're not good enough. And we're paralyzed. Relax. Watch what God does this week as you go to Cheddar's or as you go to your restaurant or as you go to your workplace. Just rest in him. Worship him. Talk to him all the time and watch. Well, let your speech be speech that purifies, not joins in with the trash. Let me ask you a question. Are people getting kind of negative right now? Is the world getting a little bit, everything's so bad and everything, is it, is it getting pretty negative? Don't join in. Don't join in. Because we got hope. I mean, every, people who say to me, they say, oh, you're getting older, Jim. I can look at them and say, yeah. It's a day closer to heaven. I had a man just this past week go, I never thought about that. I jokingly, when I play golf with some guys and they're all lathering up with sunscreen on the first hole, I look at them and I say, hey, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not dragging my feet. I don't know why you guys keep dragging your feet. Go to heaven. You know, but of course, then I put the sunscreen on because my wife will check and see if I did. But <laughs> let your speech be gracious. Consider it. One last verse. One last verse. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 24 through 26. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. This applies to believers that we're talking to and unbelievers that we're talking to. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, 
Correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The best example I can give you is that little girl who was taken captive in 2 Kings chapter 5. She was from Israel. As you know, there might, men, people from Aram came in and captured them and took her away as a slave. And this little girl's master, Naaman, he came down with leprosy. And that little girl thought to herself as she prayed in her room, good, I hope he dies. She didn't do that, did she? No. Even though she was in a situation that most of us would dread, in her heart she had set apart the Lord as Lord. And she says, you know, there's a God in Israel. There's a man in Israel. There's a God in Israel. You go to him and he can heal you. And through her shining in that situation she was put in, Naaman came to faith. And who knows what all else God does. The scripture doesn't tell us, but we know this much. He was right-hand man to the king of Aram. Folks, you may not be called to go preach and teach across the globe. It's okay. Realize, though, that God's going to use you everywhere. Are you equal to the task? Nope. But he wants to do it through you, and he will if you'll just let him. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for these two verses that just come alive when we let the whole of the scripture speak to us. Father, thank you for the joy that we get when it, well, you said, come unto me, you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Wait a minute. Here's my yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Father, I pray that we would find out what it is you would have us do and enjoy the fact that you are going to use us. Even if we make mistakes, if we're striving to walk in what we believe you want us to do, you're able to clean up after us and put the ears back on and keep using us for your purposes. Father, I thank you that as I was preaching today uh, to these men at lunch and we were talking about that prophet who was used of you to make that awesome prophecy, but then he disobeyed you by listening to that other prophet you still used his bones 300 years later to testify to your greatness. You're able to use us any way you choose. May we just rest in that. And may we be excited about the opportunities that will come up around us. And Lord, keep our eyes off of everybody else and what we think they ought to be doing. And may we just rest in the saying, Lord, use me. We pray this in your name. Amen.